0: this morning, so if you want to go ahead and start making your way toward Romans chapter 6, Romans is in the New Testament, if you don't know, feel free to, to use that table of contents like Alan said last week, if you don't have a copy of God's Word to take home to be your very own, we'd encourage you to take home one of these black hardback pew Bibles, that's our gift to you, the Word of God is a gift that we could never earn, but a gift that was given to us, and we give it to you. This Sunday is going to be the first in a, in a series that we're going to be doing through July on freedom. It seemed appropriate. Since the first Sunday of the month was the 4th of July, it seemed, seemed reasonable and proper for us to examine freedom. Now, freedom's a word that we use a lot, right? We hear it a lot. Man, freedom has been used to sell more pickup trucks, more beer, more vacations, more lifestyle choices than probably any other single word in the English language. This this dream of freedom on the open road, so buy a Chevrolet. This This idea to celebrate our freedom around the grill. So make sure you get yourself a pack of Budweiser. To unite as a country around freedom. Bruce Springsteen told us at the Super Bowl, buy a Jeep. Who knew that Bruce was a Mopar guy? But here's the thing, we have all these ideas of freedom, We've got, we talk about political freedom and we can talk about financial freedom and, and, and we can talk about, about all of this freedom, and all too often, what that means is I can do what I want. How many of you remember on the, on the playground as a little child, and You were playing a game and someone said, you can't do that, that's against the rules. And your response was, it's a free country, I can do what I want. Unfortunately, many of us never grow beyond that elementary school understanding of freedom. And we think that freedom means I can do whatever I want. See, it's not just our documents this is the declaration or our ads or our news media or our politicians who talk about freedom scripture talks about freedom in fact we're told that as believers we have been given freedom that we have freedom in Christ And so, so over the next four Sundays we're not going to be looking at at jeep ads or chevrolet ads or miller Lite ads or 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 whatever ad is on tv this weekend but we're going to be looking at what freedom in christ entails we're going to be asking some questions does freedom in christ absolve us from spiritual responsibilities You know, Jesus says that His burden is light. So does that mean that the Christian life is going to be a free and easy one? Free of of burden and hardship? We're going to see that that freedom in Christ shows us that true freedom moves us toward obedience and in fact debunks an unchristian worldly understanding of freedom. We love to play the what would happen if game, particularly when we're on our way home from Lumberton, because when you're on your way home from Lumberton, somewhere, I think around maybe exit 20, over on the left-hand side, if you're headed south, there's one of those big, big billboards for the Powerball that updates with the total. Yesterday we came through, it was $101 million. I don't know if anybody won last night, so it may be lower, it may be more. Today. But we play the what would happen if game. What would happen if we won the lottery? Well, first of all, we'd have, to, we'd have to gamble, which we don't do, and we'd have to buy a ticket, which we don't do. But it's a fun exercise, right? Because it's an exercise in freedom. What would happen if we had the financial freedom, basically, to have unlimited money? To spend money any way that we wanted to spend it. My version of what would happen if almost always involves a sailboat and a classic car. Interestingly, just so you know, it also involves me continuing to be your pastor and just not taking a salary. Because this is where I'm supposed to be, and I know that. And so so what would happen if I won the lottery? Man, I would love it. I'd get us a new car. I'd buy a 1972 Plymouth Cuda, convertible, steel blue exterior, white leather interior, and I'd buy about a 38- or 40-foot sailboat to keep down at the beach. That's what I do. Not that I have thought about it or have specifics. But you know, the thing is we play can play that game and I'm sure you've played that game. We all love to play that game. But here's the truth, we know what happens when. We know what happens when people win the lottery. All too often, lottery winners, no matter how much money they win, spend it all. Often in a very short period of time. You know, they they sometimes feel like there was there was a series on TV for a while where they were would go and talk with people who had won the lottery. And one of the things that came up over and over and over again, I remember, was they would say, you know, I won the lottery and I felt like I could do anything, but then they became paranoid that people were trying to take their money. Many of them fall into to some serious addiction issues, whether it be substance addiction or gambling addiction or or some other form of addiction. I remember one guy, he had won a great deal of money, and he spent $10,000 a week on lottery tickets. Because he won once, he could win again. Steve Lewitt, who is the CEO of Wealth Financial Group in Chicago, said this about lottery winners. People who were ordinary people all of a sudden become extraordinary and they're euphoric. They lose all sense of reality. They think they're invincible and powerful. They think they are Superman. Brothers and sisters, this is not freedom. This is slavery. This isn't what freedom looks like. This is what being enslaved to your sin, to your flesh, looks like. Because if we really want to know what freedom is, we have to look to the Scripture. We have to look to the Bible. We have to look to the Word of God and see what the Word of God says about freedom. We are, as I said, in Romans chapter 6, we're going to be reading the first 14 verses. If you're willing and able, will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Just to remind you, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since the person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires, and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God, and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the freedom that we have through Christ Jesus. We give you thanks for your grace. We give you thanks for your son's life, death, burial, resurrection, so that sin and death may die in us and we may be resurrected in new life. God, as we turn to your word, as we study it this morning, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. Maybe may be seated. So Paul is starting here. Now we're going to go, next week actually, we're going to go backwards. We're going to go into Romans 5 next week. I know that may seem a little counterintuitive, but just stick with me, I think it. It'll make sense when we get there. But, but Paul starts this part of Romans. He's, he's been talking about grace. He's been talking about freedom. And he starts with this misunderstanding that I think many of us start with. And it's this misunderstanding of freedom means I can do whatever I want. I'm free in Christ. I haven't earned salvation. In fact, I can't earn salvation Grace is magnified by the, by, the, by the magnitude of our sin. And so, maybe I just keep on sinning so that God's grace can be made more manifest in the world. It's this, it's this same idea. Should we continue to sin so that grace can multiply? Or put it another way, does freedom in Christ mean that I get to do what I want? After all, God's mercy is extended to me, not for anything that I have done. God's mercy is extended to you, not because of anything you have done, but is extended to us only as an act of his grace. And so if it doesn't matter what I do, if I can't earn my salvation, then let me do what I want and let the chips fall where they may. God's grace covers all. I mean, this is an idea that has popped up in the church over and over and over again. We see it with actually a, a fair degree of re- regularity. Little sects and groups and cults will pop up. Saying that in order to increase God's grace in the world, we must sin. Paul answers this misunderstanding real quick absolutely not exclamation point now the exclamation point is not in the original greek but the the em- emphatic nature of paul's response is present absolutely not you are misunderstanding the nature of god's grace and god's mercy Then Paul asks this question, and we spent some time, a couple of weeks ago, we spent some time talking about identity, and and, and Paul asks an identity question here. How can we who died to sin still live in it? See, it's, it's about this identity. We're asking this question, if we're to be this thing that has died to sin, how can we still live in it? Paul's telling us that, that anyone who, who asks this question, anyone who's saying that salvation allows us the freedom to sin, is misunderstanding our identity in Christ. See, when we battle sin and we must battle sin, we can try and do it under our own power and we will fail. But Paul knows something. Paul's telling us something that we are dead to that which once. Controlled us. There was a, a Puritan minister in England in the um, early 17th century, in the 1600s, named John Owen. John Owen wrote a, wrote a, a, a treatise called The Mortification of Sin. It's, it's good, it's a little dense. But out of that work comes this quote. Maybe the quote that Owen is is most well known for. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. If we don't, Owen is saying, take the offense against sin. If we don't seek it out in our lives and seek to eradicate it, it will overwhelm us and it will kill us. Now, I want to be clear, Owen was a Puritan. Owen was big on God's grace. Owen did not think that we could kill sin by our own will and by our own hand. No, it is only through Christ and by God's grace that we can resist and seek to kill that sin in ourselves. So we have this question here of identity. If, okay, if we're new creatures in Christ, And sin has been killed, yet we know we still sin. And we have these these affirmations from from Owen, and Owen gets it from Scripture, to to seek out and kill the sin in our life. Who are are we? Are we a new creature or not? And Paul is seeking to answer that. Paul is seeking to show us here How our freedom works. Paul comes in, verse 3, Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We are people who have been co-baptized Co-co-buried and co-resurrected with Jesus. This is, this is what happens at baptism, Paul is showing us. When we enter into that new life, we become co-laborers with Christ in his kingdom. And just as Christ was baptized, we are baptized. And just as Christ died, we die. And just as Christ was resurrected into new life, we are resurrected into new life. This is is why that, that ordinance of baptism is so central to our understanding of the Christian life. It is absolutely possible to, to follow Jesus and to be a faithful believer and never to have been baptized, but that is not the norm, nor should it ever be. In September, we're going to have that fill the tank Sunday on, on the 12th, and we're going to talk more then about baptism. But, but Paul's, Paul's argument here, Paul's Discussion as he's sending this message to the church in Rome, as they're wrestling with who they are in Christ and what it means to be a Christian, Paul is, is emphasizing the centrality of baptism. I'm also going to say here that this idea that we are co-baptized with Jesus That we are dead and buried in our sin and resurrected into new life is also why I hold to the fact that adult believers' baptism by immersion is the biblical standard and should be normative for baptism. There are many who don't agree with me. There are many who don't agree with us as Baptists on that question. But this is... Where the root of the Baptist distinctive on baptism comes from. That we in baptism are buried, we go under the water, and we are raised out of the water into new life. It also doesn't hurt that the word baptism, baptizo in Greek, means to plunge or to dip. It doesn't mean to sprinkle, it doesn't mean to dampen the forehead. It means to plunge or to dip. And it was a word that was used in all sorts of ways. One of the ways that it's used is it's used in the dyeing of fabric. Have you ever, have you ever seen fabric dyed? Maybe some of you have done it. Maybe you've, you've gotten some writ dye and, and re-dyed something. Some of you are of an age where you probably tie-dyed some shirts at some point in your life. You don't have to admit to it it's okay. When, when I work at, when we work at Colonial Williamsburg, there is a, 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 an 18th century weaving shop there in Williamsburg, and it's fascinating, but one of the things the weavers also do is the weavers also demonstrate and show and research 18th century fabric dyeing. Now, in the 18th century, those would have been two different trades, but but in Williamsburg and the 21st, it's the same one. And, and, and the way that the dyeing would work is they would take a, a big vat of water and they would heat it up and they would add whatever the, the dyeing agent is to it. And then they would take the fabric, or better yet, the fiber. Hey, I know he's really cute. I'm up here. Look, I've been staring at them all week. I get it. But you would take the fabric or the fiber and you would plunge it, dip it, baptize it into that solution. And then as the the fabric or the fiber is, is underneath, plunged down in, it absorbs that dye. And so then when it is brought out, it emerges as something different and changed. A piece of fabric might go in a natural linen color and come out a, a deep blue or a red. Or, if you want to get really fancy, you can... You can dip it in yellow and then dip it in blue and get green. But it's, it's dipped and it's changed. Likewise, when we are plunged into the grave of baptism, dead in our, in our sin, we are changed and we emerge changed and resurrected into new life in Christ. And therefore, Paul tells us in verse 5, we are United with Him. For we have been united with Him in the likeness of His death. We will certainly also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Paul's telling us that as Christians, we have resurrection power to overcome sin but we have to keep asking that question, that question that we, he asks back so in verse 2. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? If we have been plunged into the waters of baptism, if we have been plunged into the grave with Christ, if we have died to our sins in Christ and been resurrected in newness of life through Him, why is it so hard to overcome sin? Why do we have to take that advice of Owen and be ever watchful to be killing the sin in our life lest it overcome and kill us. You know that expression, running around like a chicken with its head cut off? Some of you may actually know what that means. Some of you may have actually seen it. I've seen it. One of the times when I was in Haiti, we got to see them making our lunch. And it started with a very alive chicken and ended with a very tasty drumstick. But what happens? right? You cut the chicken's head off and it just can flop around. The chicken's still dead. Dead's dead. The chicken's dead, but the neurons that control its muscles are still firing. The same thing, I don't know whether you know this, the same thing can happen to us. Because there are all these, these neurochemicals in our neurons, and they can, they can be released and, and, and can cause twitches and movement. So when that chicken's head gets cut off, it's dead. But those those neurons keep firing and it flops around. It's the same way with our sin. See, our sin can be dead, but it can still be moving around like it's still in charge. Our sin can have had its head cut off but it's still flopping around in our lives acting like it's still the big man on campus it's still the the boss calling the shots we can still sin but dead is dead see there's a difference because previously we had to sin because we were slaves to sin we had no choice we, we can fool ourselves and we can think that we have an illusion of choice prior to our salvation, but we are enslaved to sin. There is no choice but for us to be creatures of sin. But now, through Christ, as sin dies, we are no longer enslaved to it. We are no longer commanded by it. We are no longer controlled by it. We are set Free. Verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. So if sin's dead, and dead is dead, and we're free from it, Why, when it's flapping around in us, do we feel the need to continue to follow it? Because we keep our eyes on the wrong thing. It's a lack of vision. We take our eyes off the cross. Right there in verse 10. For death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life He lives, He lives to God. Christ died. Christ died for once for all time. Remove the power of sin. And then He was raised from the dead, proving that death and sin no longer rule over us. But, but we can... We can take our eyes off of Him. We can take our eyes off of the cross. We can take our eyes off of the price that He paid for our freedom. And then that little, flapping, feathered, headless chicken of sin can get us running around. Tony Evans puts it like this. Before you and I were saved... We were like radios, and we only had one frequency. I think everybody in the room probably knows what a radio is. If any people are watching at home, or perhaps some of the younger people present don't know what a radio is, it's a way we used to listen to music before we had things like Spotify and iPhones. And the radio would would send frequencies over the air. We had a radio station right here in Fairmont. And you have to turn the dial to to tune in. And, And sometimes you live in a place, luckily we've got multiple radio stations here, but sometimes you're in a place and there is only one frequency that comes in over the radio. And guess what? It doesn't matter whether you like the format of that radio station or not. That's what you're listening to because that's all there is. Go traveling out west sometime. It is a barren, barren place. With lots of land and very little decent music. So Tony Evans using this, and he says, before you and I were saved, we were like radios. We only had one frequency. There was only one place that we could turn the dial to. But when we came to Christ, he added a new one. We've lived our lives. We've only been able to tune in to the station of sin and death. And then Christ comes into our life, and he adds a whole new station. I'm going to assume it's Caleb. Joke, guys. He has a whole new station. But see, now, now, before, right, we only had one choice. We only had the frequency of sin and death. We had no choice. That was the only station we could get. Now we've got a choice. We've got two. We've got that frequency. It doesn't go away. But we've got a new frequency. But what happens? We'll, We'll flip over to that new frequency, and we'll listen to it for a while. And we go, like, okay, well, I, I know what he's saying here. I'm gonna go check out what's on the other channel. I'm gonna go check out what's on the other frequency. See, we, we've got the choice. We can we can be tuned in to the old frequency or we can be tuned in to the new one, and and far too often, far too many of us as believers. Flip over to the old frequency. Just, just want to see what's going on over there. Just just in case. In verse eleven, consider yourselves dead to sin. Consider yourselves dead to sin. We have to buy into the new identity that was bought for us on the cross. You know, we love this expression, and it is so true. Freedom isn't free. Freedom isn't free. Several young men that I grew up with over the course of the last 20 years have paid the price for freedom. Freedom isn't free. Our freedom in Christ isn't free either. But it comes at a price that you or I can't pay. It comes at a price that only He can pay. So so we have to buy into the new identity. We've got to turn our our radio to that new frequency that was bought for us on the cross. When Jesus died in our place, he, He paid that price, our freedom price. He manumitted us from slavery. We don't have to pay that price again. We are free, but we do have a choice. We can continue to let sin reign over us. We can continue to obey it, continue to allow it to master us, even though the price has been paid to free us from it. Or we can, as Paul says, offer ourselves to God. We can be reigned over by sin, or we can freely offer ourselves to God. You know, there is this, this idea out there that says that, that freedom, right? Freedom would be being, being able to tune in to any radio station that you want to. Turning your, turning your dial to whichever frequency you wanted to. That, that was freedom, right? Because we can choose whatever we want. Freedom is having 86 kinds of toothpaste in the grocery store. And choosing whichever one we want—that's freedom. But it's not gospel freedom. It's—it's it's just another version of consumerism. It's, a, it's another form of of slavery. Just like the lotto winner who can think that they're free while being enslaved to, to this new thing, we can fool ourselves into thinking that we are free to do whatever we want when we are still enslaved to sin and our passions, to our flesh, and to the devil himself. I know you've heard me use this verse before, talk about this verse before. The last verse of the book of Judges is so important in those days there was no king in israel and everyone did what seemed right to him some versions have it they have it this way everyone did what was right in his own eyes they were free they had no king they could do whatever they thought was right but the whole book of judges shows us that they weren't free that they were still slaves to sin and death. Judges is maybe one of the most grossly violent books in the whole Bible. Judges contains human sacrifice, rape, murder, and genocide. Because the people thought they had no king and that they were free to do whatever was right in their own eyes. It's a warning to us that when we try to claim the freedom of saying we have no king in our lives, that we can do whatever we want, that we're really just making ourselves slaves to sin and the very worst parts of our fallen nature. Paul is showing us here in Romans... That real freedom only comes not when we think we can do whatever we want, but when we submit ourselves to Jesus, when we find our identity in Him, and when we accept the gift that He has given us and the paying of the ransom price for our freedom. Brothers and sisters, we are born slaves to sin. We have no choice. But Christ came and died on a cross, was buried in a new tomb, and rose from the dead to pay the price to free us. To pay our ransom price. It is only when we submit ourselves to Jesus, when we submit ourselves to His Lordship, to His kingship, that we can find real freedom. Some of you may be here this morning and you may still be a slave to something. You may... You may still be a slave, and, and, and you've, you've, you've never turned yourself over to Jesus and allowed that ransom price to be paid for you. Today, July 4th, 2021, is a day to allow your freedom to be bought for you by Christ. Or maybe you are a believer and you've still got that headless, feathery chicken flapping around in your heart making you think that sin is still in charge and it's it's a time for you to let go. It's time for you to be killing sin before it kills you. Today, this day where we celebrate rightly freedom. Let's celebrate the real freedom The true freedom that we have in Christ. We're coming to this table. We're coming to this table as free men and women. As men and women whose ransom has been paid, who've been manumitted from sin and death. And just as baptism reminds us and shows us that we are buried in sin and death and risen in new life, The Lord's table reminds us of the price that was paid for our freedom. I hope that you've all.